NFTs, the future, it's here. But what if we told you that you haven't been told the whole truth? The game is about to change. The voice of the people and the voice of the NFT community collide, bringing you a fresh perspective on NFTs unlike anything you've ever heard before. Hop on this rocket ship with Sean and Vaughn to the moon and hold on tight. Hello and welcome to episode number five zero. Fifty episodes, fifty weeks of covering this whew, dynamic, tumultuous roller coaster ride of this NFT space. My name is Sean Pfeiffer. It's awesome to be here hanging out with you guys on another week's episode. We have an insane interview. Let's just put it this way. Usually there's the podcast, the interview, and then there's a lot of meat substance that Vaughn and I break into regarding the NFT space. This week, our interviewee did the heavy lifting for us. Before we do that, I want to welcome in my co-host. He is the man, the myth, the legend, the man that needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyways. He's the Batman of my Robin, and you can follow him on Twitter at Steven underscore show. Vaughn, how we doing? Yo, banger, feeling good. I got a tattoo of my bored ape, and... <laughs> You, you would not believe the amount of comments everywhere being like, this NFT stuff has gone way too far. So get this. I've gotten hit on twice in public. I have never been hit on in public ever before. The only other time was, I think, at this bar. This girl asked for my number. We met to go out for lunch the next day. And then she said, I thought you were taller. So those, that's like the only other time that I've ever felt that I've gotten hit on in my life. And then since I've gotten this board Ape tattoo now, whether it's because they have a tattoo, because they know what a board Ape is, I have no idea. Hold on, but. hold on, hold on. <laughs> okay, so this is the new era that we live in. You flex the digital flex of owning the... This might be the most brilliant thing you've ever done, Vaughn. Instead of having your profile picture on Twitter, right, which only people on Twitter see, only people that you're interacting with, whatever the case may be. Now you go to a movie, you go to a bar, you go to a restaurant. You're literally walking around with your board ape on you permanently for the rest of your life. So two part question. Number one, instead of this is the new era that we live in, instead of like rocking a Rolex, it's like, damn, you got a fifteen, twenty thousand dollar watch on your arm. Like. Yo, spit some game. That's how you, you listen. Maybe, maybe that's how you pick up girls these days. You all you have to do, guys, just put a doodle or a board ape. Maybe even put a put a, put a gremlin, a goblin. Well, whatever the case may be, to just throw it on yourself, and you're uh, you're gonna be cooking with guys. How does Amanda feel about this? That's the better question. Yo, I don't even think she like realized we were we we're at like no, a Home does. Depot or something, no, and then like the, the the one of the staffers was like. Oh, that's a really nice tattoo. And I'm like, well, thank you. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to say. You know, you know you have money when you have a board ape tattooed on you, or you're just a complete phony. Can you imagine like trying to put a board ape on you? Tat going to the length of tattooing a board ape on your skin, being stuck with it for the rest of your life. And not even owning one. Is that the next step? Is somebody going to do that? I've had so many people be like, so are you going to sell it now? And like all this kind of stuff. And it's weird. I don't look at it that way, right? Like we, we, honestly, we look at the space where it's, oh, it's, uh, you know, it's whatever we value at. And I don't know if I'm like crazy because it's something that I bought initially and 
it's not my board ape like straight up. We had like a lot of edits. It's got the birds that we have the concept, right? Where it's this thing where it's all about the money and why would you do that? It's permanent and the actual I guess we'll call it like commitment to something like there's very few things that I think you fully commit to for your entire life. Well, you're committed. You're uh, hate to be. Yeah, now we got to get on NFTs, guys. Listen, 50 episodes. It's been an absolute freaking blast. We'll talk to you never again. You're committed. You you cannot run from this. This this NFT is is now a part of you. You very, very literally. Uh, you have no choice. You are pot committed they say and you're you're married to biz you know this this will be like somebody who passes away and you get a tribute tattoo how are you gonna feel if you sell biz and then you have to look at them every single day on your body probably not great uh yeah i mean i I guess i don't know like i feel like if there's some jackass that bought it and was super annoying on twitter i'd be like god i hate that otherwise i don't know (laughs) i mean I don't know, but I mean, listen, it's, it's been, it's been a fun 50 episodes. If you guys want, it would be an absolute marathon, but going back and listening to all the different takes, all the different topics and with the new website that we're having launching here soon. And again, apologies for anybody that listened last week that I was thinking we were going to have it out. We've run into small minor uh, updates and stuff that we're kind of changing on it. And I'm really excited to have that uh, fully launched here soon. Um, But I was submitting some different things on the back end and going over the titles of our previous podcast, talking about NBA Top Shot a whole lot, talking about the market dead forever. Is it, you know, we literally have an episode where it's like titled, we're in a bull run. And it's, (laughs) it's like, Okay, if that wasn't the top signal, guys, I don't know what the hell it was. Going back, CyberCongs were like 200 ETH. We've seen some crazy floors across the board. And it's really been an adventure and really appreciate you guys for tuning in and listening for a year. I don't, the one thing that I remember us formally talking about a lot with our guests was what ceiling or what floor are we on in a building? If we, you know, are on a 10 story building, there's a basement, first, second floor, yada, yada, where are we? And we asked different guests and, you know, the, the answers kind of ranged, but, you know, looking back a year, 50 episodes, I mean, I shouldn't say a year, but looking back 50 episodes, it's, I feel like we're really on the basement floor. Which I don't, I don't think even back then I would have said we were that low. But reflecting, I feel like we're that low. Yeah, I still feel like we're that low. And we're bas- you, you said a couple of times a year. We're basically a year in. Believe it or not, it's June right now at the time of recording this episode. June 1st. June of 2021 was when we launched episode number one. Fun fact. Uh, we are three weeks away from a year anniversary for the podcast and let's just say title number one first episode sean bought a dick no no no, it wasn't sean bought a dick butt let me let me go look no it wasn't it wasn't sean bought a dick butt what was the first title we got to go back and look here we go first sean bought a pickle there it is yo 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 i remember sean bought a pickle and you know what started from a pickle now we're here that should be the episode of episode number 50. Started at a pickle, and now we're here. We moved from a pickle to a mutant and a wolf, and you obviously, I mean, you're like mega whale. You make me look like a minnow in the pond. But regardless, it's been a fucking heck of a journey. Let's let's sit down and let's talk to this next guest, because we, we need to, and then we'll kind of take another step back towards the end of the show uh, to uh, to relive other moments here. But Vaughn, man. We got a special one lined up for episode 50 as we do take a look back 
down memory lane at some of these episodes. Today, we have an incredible guest scouring Twitter for the brightest brain that I could find, and I landed on a Twitter account called at punk nine zero five nine and living up to the crypto punk uh, username in a way where we've seen a lot of them kind of be the spearheading of the vanguard, if you will, for Web3 and NFT. So really, really excited to have them here today. They also go by nftstatistics.eth. But sir, thank you much for joining us today. Do you want to give us a little bit of a background for anyone listening in that might not know who you are? I, I, my career kind of, I spent half my career at an investment bank writing research and half my career at a startup that like I, when I got there, there were 50 employees. When I left, there were 22,000. So I like got to see the real growth of a, of a Web2 startup. And you know, at both jobs, I just kind of lived in, in the data. And you know, SQL was kind of my home. And I just really enjoyed coming up with charts and telling stories. So uh, that's kind of my background. About a year ago, um, I was talking to some friends from the bank I worked at and a lot of like their big kind of macroeconomics, like completely traditional finance guys, clients, uh, started buying crypto punks. So I started looking into it. And the one thing that, you know, as I was getting closer and closer to wanting to buy one, one thing that kind of blew my mind or surprised me or frustrated me was that I couldn't find a, a floor price history for crypto punks. And I, like in my view, e- even then when I wasn't too deep in NFTs, I realized that. Floor price is, in my view, like the most important metric for how an NFT set is trading. A lot of people disagree, but I will stand by this all day. I think floor price is by far the most th- the most important thing to understand how price has moved. Yeah, and, and you couldn't find it anywhere. This is like the basic finance.yahoo.com page that you would see if you were looking at stock and it didn't exist. So I started building it myself over time. And through that, I started, you know, I created a Twitter account. I started tweeting punk stats tweet stuff about punks. And over time, I just kind of got into more and more NFTs and built out the my my Python scripts further and wider and started collecting a lot more data. Uh, and over time, it's, you know, the accounts become more focused on macro and NFTs as a wide range of, you know, the wide range of asset class outside of punks. But that's where I am now, you know, and it's, I'd say over the past month and a half, the follower count has really grown and there's been a lot more interest in what I'm doing. Yeah, something that fascinates me is is the story of not just your your professional background, but also your NFT background. Obviously, we uh, we we know that you have a crypto punk, and we know that that's part of part of who you are in your story. But where did it start? Where did your NFT journey begin? And, and tell us a little bit more about it. Sure, I you know I, the my first experience was actually a pretty negative one. I. I I had a punk I wanted to buy. Like, I, you know that feeling when you're buying an NFT and you're like, can't figure out if you want to push that button because yeah. it's going to be this like crazy expensive purchase that makes no sense. Yeah, I was kind of doing that with a punk. And then I finally bought one and I, I pushed the button and I went down and hung out with some of my, my friends who I was with that day and didn't even talk about it. And I like was like, well, I own a punk now. And I, I did not have regret. A week later, I found out that I'd actually gotten sniped on that purchase and a bot had front right, like when they saw that I'd that I bought it, they had front run me and bid up like, you know, 0.0001 ETH higher than I did and, and ended up getting that punk. So I actually didn't have a punk. Uh, so that was a really negative uh, first experience, which punk owners will understand this because I think it's more common on Larva Labs website because there's no royalties there. Uh, so you just get a lot more sniping. And also there's just a longer history with punks of kind of like people figuring out ways to game the system and game the blockchain. So that was my first experience, which wasn't great. Uh, I later found another punk I wanted and I bought it. The, yeah, that was 9059, which is no longer my profile picture, but I still own it. 
and that yeah so that was i guess the first nft i bought i don't i don't remember a ton of that like first month or two i think i really just looked into punks a lot i, I was really kind of a punk maxi and uh eventually i realized like i gotta own an ape my like i just i didn't want to be rooting against apes i think sometimes when you don't own something you find yourself rooting against right. it i was like that's not who i want to be you know i kind of want to be someone who, who cheers this this sector on and uh, so i ended up buying an ape uh, and then got more familiar with ape traits and started kind of doing these daily updates of ape traits and how, how different traits were moving. Because I found one thing I found that was unique that I had that no one else had was history of where the floors had been for different traits for punks and apes. So in the beginning, I, that was a lot of what I tweeted. And I thought it was cool. Every now and then there'd be someone to be like, how'd you get that? Uh, so that was kind of that was kind of fun. That was, that was where I started, though. You are big fan of CryptoPunks, and one thing that kind of like catches your eye if you check you out on Twitter is that your banner is full of multiple different projects, from Doodles to the Board Ape uh, Kennel Club to MeBits to World of Women. It seems that you're talking about your high conviction within CryptoPunks, but you're also kind of diversifying in a way. What's your thoughts with the aspect of NFTs, diversification? Some people say, oh, that's king. Where for me personally, if I look back and I'm like, man, if I would have kept all the board apes that I originally minted back in the day and, you know, had that kind of conviction. And for me, it was more of a financial thing of wanting to get in these other projects. And I literally couldn't if I didn't sell. What's your thoughts on diversification versus kind of conviction plays, if you will, while being an NFT collector? Well, I mean, one thing that happened pretty quickly as I got into the space was I realized that punks weren't going through a good stretch. Like as much as I liked the idea of punks before I was familiar with the space, once I got into the space, I was, I, I quickly realized like punks actually probably are not the place to be like in 2022. You know, it's just all the trends that are working right now, punks are kind of the opposite of, you know, the idea of provenance and history is just not the theme that has made things work well ever since Yuga got onto the scene. So while I do like punks and I think that's kind of where my heart's at, it's certainly not the investment advice I give people, uh, you know, who are like, how do I make money in NFTs? Certainly over the next six months, I like, I kind of go on and off. So despite my initiation into the space with punks, I wouldn't say that's like where I'm all in. I, I think for me, what I've kind of just done as I've become more of someone who just likes to be associated with the NFT movement and uh, kind of what's happening is when I sense that a project is getting big, I normally... And, and has balance sheet and has a lot of the traits that I look for in, in an NFT set, I'll normally just buy one or two. And so, you know, like clones I got in, that's where I've made my money is just by getting that sense a little early. So with apes, I bought my first ape like at 30, you know, it felt late at the time, but it ended up making me a lot of money. Doodles I bought in at six, you know, you know, uh, clones I bought in at five and six and Azuki I bought at eight. Moonbirds, I bought at 10. You know, just once I started, and this was all a few weeks into these projects, like, except for Moonbirds, which was very, very early, like day one or two. But yeah, well, it was just like, once I get a sense that something is catching on and kind of has like pretty widespread support and the minters are leaving and you kind of like the whales and bigger holders are buying, I think that's generally when I when I bought. And it's worked out pretty well, although I've also started like with World of Women, I've, I'm definitely down. You know, I've had a couple other plays where I've lost money, but you know, most of that's been made up for by the money I've made just by by buying some of these other projects early. Obviously, if you owned a board, 21 board apes, you know, the only move that made sense in retrospect was sitting on your hands. But, you know, hindsight capital management is the only uh, investment fund that always wins. You know, it's, it's easy to say <laughs> yeah. that in retrospect. 
Yeah, for sure. Okay, so uh, something that I thought was interesting in what you're talking about there was the establishment of certain projects. And one notion that I've kind of been throwing around in my head for the past little bit is this kind of, we'll call it a wall. And once you hit this certain wall, or we'll say threshold, that that project is then solidified. And I don't necessarily know what that number is. I mean, arbitrarily, we could throw out, you know, four or five ETH. And, you know, you look at Cool Cats, World of Women, and a lot of these ones where they were up higher and they've retraced. But I feel that any project that has grown to a certain height, no matter what, is always, at least it feels like it's going to stay relevant. And maybe one of the cases where that doesn't seem to be the case is certain projects that come out that have incredibly hyped mints and then kind of fall off a little bit. And I know that we bring up Mechaverse a lot on here. But that's kind of just one that I think everybody that is listening right now probably remembers because it was such a high floor. And then now we've seen it kind of retrace. But in that same breath, I think that, you know, if Mechaverse has any announcements, because everybody remembers what that price is, they just have that association of, hey, you know, let's pay attention to what they're doing, you know, maybe not excessively, but just kind of keeping an eye on that. So do you think that that's uh, a good or interesting thought at all with, you know, collections having a certain wall where they might retrace a fair bit, but they're always going to stay in kind of relevancy? It's a super interesting question. There are two things I'd say. One, and like, uh, and I've been tweeting about this recently. I think that stats have about a hundred days to get to 10 ETH. I think like those first two to three months are so important for getting, because what happens is the people who own the set in like those early weeks, they're the ones who feel true ownership over the project. And this is all just like a marketing game where you need people out there pushing you, believing in you, owning, you know, feeling ownership over what you're doing. So if you look at like Doodles, Clones, Azukis, Moonbirds, Bored Apes, uh, you know, Cool Cats, all of these sets got to 10 ETH within the first 100, 120 days. And I think that that period is so important because the owners you get in like month five, month six, I, I just don't think they feel it in the blood the same way that the early owners do. And the other thing is like, this is just a momentum game. Like people like look for momentum. And if you're not getting that momentum, then the project has no purpose. Like it's that, it's that early, like wag me, like we're going to moon, like this is unique. This is special. Get on board that energy. I think there's something about it when it's really helpful early on. The only set I found that got to a hundred or that got to 10 ETH kind of over a long period of time was world of women. Now they minted, I think in July, stuck at two floor for a long time. And then in January, they had the Guy Osiri announcement. That Guy Osiri, who was the kind of the agent and manager for Apes, signed with World of Women. And, yeah, and, and the project went from three to eight in one day and then drifted up towards 10. But other than that, you know, maybe Gutter Cats a little bit kind of touched 10 like way late and then fell down. But other than that, like you really have to get that momentum very, very early. So that's one of the thoughts. And I've tweeted a, a lot about that and people can see some of the charts I built on that theme. The second thing I would say, and this is like a mystery to me, and I'm, you know, this Mechaverse example is a great example. I am not convinced that sets can rebound. I'm not convinced of it. I don't know if they can do it. We're going to moon. This is unique. Get on board with this team is a much easier message than we're going to moon again, or we're going to do it even though we failed last time. And we haven't seen NFTs that have done it yet. The other thing that's super interesting isn't just like, it's not just like the ones that pumped and, and, and came down. It's like some of these like pre-mint hype, like frenzies or invisible friends and invisible friends is still kind of in the game a little bit, but just these ones that had all this pre-mint hype and just never, and you know, frenzies is like 0.15 ETH, you know, and 
some of them just never get off the ground. So much about this game is about kind of the aura that your project has. And it's a very fragile thing. And you have to preserve it because, uh, yeah, I think it gets really hard to rebound. I just I think so much of the, the energy just needs that like quick, quick movement. I love this conversation for so many different reasons, and it really transitions perfectly into something that I was excited to talk to you about. You talk about that 10 ETH bubble that you need to hit, that window of opportunity within this first first certain amount of time. Something that we see that that's well on our way is, is obviously the elephant in the room. It's goblins, and we're going to talk about that here in a second. You had tweeted out recently talking about derivatives from the Goblins collection and essentially 40% of the top projects related to the Goblins in some form or fashion. And then went on to clarify talking about the fact that, you know, Goblins are genius and that you had mentioned it's more about the top five projects in OpenSea that are uh, some sort of a derivative of the Goblins and this hype cycle that obviously people seem to care a lot about. So I guess my question for you at the time of recording, by the way, the Goblins floor right now on OpenSea is at 7.9, which is, this is something else that's kind of crazy when you really take a step back and conceptualize. Cool Cats floor is four. They're almost double the price of where Cool Cats are at. And you take, you know, you you have a lot of steps back and think about where the space is at in early 2022. I don't think that we would probably be thinking that this is possible, but we've seen because of hype, because of whatever we're attributing it to, because of the team, because of the execution, it, it's a reality. I want to ask you a little bit more about Goblin specifically. How do you feel about the project? I've seen a lot of tweets about it, but I want to hear your opinion. This is a separate point, but one thing about my Twitter account, like one of the things where I was like, this is going to be how I operate is I never, ever try to use this account to make money for myself. There's so many people out there showing projects they own, like what I call oh. like, sweep and tweet, you know, like you sweep the floor and then you tweet about it and you get, you know, if you have enough followers to get movement, like I'm, I'm the opposite. I just like have no interest in that. So I will disclose as I do with all my tweets, I own no goblins. Like I just have not bought into the project. It's not something I, uh, and there's no real reason. A lot of it's just, I haven't been trading as much recently. A lot of my observations are about like my view on the market is I can't judge the market. I can't say like, this is smart. This is stupid. All I can say is that this is what's happening right now. There's something about this project that is, has taken it from zero to eight ETH in 12 days. And I have to, as someone who like is a student of this market, I have to accept that. Not not even accept it. I have to honor that and try to figure out what's happening here. And, and clearly, uh, you know, I, the influencers that are into this, it's a very wide range of people, like different alpha groups I'm in have like two or three people each. They're like, guys, there's something going on here. There's some, there's some mystery aspect to it. And I think like mystery is a really, really important thing. There's some unknowns. And I think unknowns are like the reason you buy today and not tomorrow. Cause if you, if you wait till tomorrow, that unknown might get revealed and it'll move. So I think they've done a really good job maintaining that mystery. There's been a ton, like, I don't think they have a Discord. I think everything they do, they try to do on Twitter, which is, you know, such a, a, a unique concept because, like, when, when people say, like, come to our Discord, you know, and, and learn about our project, you'll love our community. I'm like, I don't want to join another Discord. Like, I'm not, no, I'm not going to do that. But, like, I spent a lot of time on Twitter and, like, they get that and they just, they brought their marketing there, which has been incredibly smart. Yeah, you know, and, and and the other thing about NFTs, and I've done a lot of work on this and tweeted about this a lot, is they're just deep momentum assets. The best way to know what the punk floor is going to do is if it is look at what it did yesterday. 
Okay, if the if the punk floor went up yesterday, there's a 58% chance it's going to go up today. If the punk floor went down yesterday, there's a 30% chance it's going to go up today. You're basically like double as likely to keep going if the floor went up yesterday. And when I say those chances, I'm just basing that on what the past year did. So I think with goblins, you got momentum, you got mystery, you got a wide range of holders. You got just this kind of like unique counterculture thing, which is I think counterculture energy is like a bit of what makes all of crypto do well. Like there's something about even buying Bitcoin where your parents think you're stupid and that's kind of why people like it. Like there's there's something about this counterculture aspect that I think makes this whole space do well. And Goblin's got that going on. There's just a lot going on here that that's clearly working. Um, To clarify the tweet about derivatives, I, I was talking before I tweeted that, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a partner at one of the big VC shops in Silicon Valley, and he likes to connect with me uh, every couple of weeks. And we were just kind of, he was like, what are the businesses that you think make money right now? Like if I'm going to invest in businesses and I was thinking, you know, the people who are making money right now are the people who spot trends quickly, like can crank out 10,000, you know, PFPs in, in, in 24 hours and mint and ship immediately. I was like, that's, and then I looked at the OpenSea page and five of the top 15 projects were basically derivatives or clones of goblins. So it's basically, those were the ones making the most royalties because they're doing the most volume. I was like, holy cow, like one third of the top 15 projects on OpenSea are executing exactly what I said. Like not innovative at all, like taking someone else's IP, operating around a little bit of innovation and just going boom operating around high we've seen it i mean with with the gamification aspect in the nft space too with wolf game remember all the you know kind of the copycat games that came out right after and so many were highly successful question two kind of two-part question that i have now two different things that i want to ask you about one i want to highlight your discord comment because i feel like it, it deserves some highlighting here the ability that they they had to essentially move things in front of the quote unquote curtain instead of behind it regarding the discord. I think it's marketing genius. I I think that what they were able to do is essentially create all of their engagement, all of their traction to be on Twitter as opposed to in a third party area or a different place. Do you think that we could see other collections doing this in the future? Is discord potentially going to be a transition in the space for communities and for projects to get away from? Or do you think this is kind of an isolated, uh, strong marketing play that they were able to capitalize on? I mean, one thing that we know in NFTs is that no success story gets isolated. It gets cloned a hundred times. So I'm sure that this model will get replicated over time and, uh, you know, and we'll see over time if it works. For me personally, I, I have one Discord group with a bunch of guys that I like to go to. And outside of that, I spend most of my time on Twitter. So I, ju- I just don't operate much in Discord. So for me, it makes a ton of sense. But uh, yeah, I haven't, because of that, though, I also haven't been in the Discord space enough to really have a huge opinion on the sustainability there. But, you know, I mean, tons of great projects that have made investors tons of money have huge Discord presences. So I, I wouldn't say like Discord's done. I, you know, just because one project, did this but i'm sure we're gonna see more experimentation so episode number 29 again we're, we're celebrating episode 50 uh 50 episodes 50 weeks into the podcast on episode 29 we highlighted the wolf game and and talked about it in depth and and really were able to to do that deep dive we've obviously seen uh start to pick up a little bit of steam i'm curious to pick your brain about gamification within the nft space what's gonna stick and what's not man so this is an area where I'm like kind of out in left field, actually. So I have to warn you, I'm not like the traditional opinion on this stuff. I like that. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, I know people, I've never, have, have you guys gotten into Wolf Game? Yeah, of course. I own a uh, a Gen Zero Wolf Wolf myself. I'm I'm a fan. Are you any assets within the uh, the ecosystem? I don't, and I've had like good friends who have really tried to push me. And for me, and and it's a lot because of uh, kind of I spend my time focusing on stats. Sure. Uh, I just like I just don't have. It's always felt like too big of a wall to go into that space. It's I have been like, why would I go in there? Like, you've got guys who live and breathe this. Like, they're just going to tear me to shreds. I'm going to have no idea what I'm doing. It's the, the learning curve is too high. So for me, it just hasn't been something that I've I've uh, decided to get into myself. More about the gamification for other projects as well. Yeah. What What do you think that that looks like? Do you think that any of these these games through the NFT space are going to be around? "Quote unquote blue chips down the road, or do you think that once you know you see a, a Sony or well, whatever the case may be, a larger company come along, is that going to kind of do away with all of these original NFT uh, games that we've seen on the blockchain thus far?" Okay, I, okay, so I got a lot of thoughts on this, and I'll try to like say it in a coherent way. My first thought is I actually think games are kind of going down market, like whales in the biggest games you know, in the gaming space, we'll spend 50 grand a year. Like, that's crazy to spend 50 grand a year. You know, but that's that's what a mutant costs. We, like, the spade, the NFT space is already so much, it's such a higher price point than where the gaming industry is that it's almost going, it's weirdly, this effort is actually taking us down market if you look at what the whales do in gaming versus what the whales do in NFTs. Like, there's something weird going on here, but this excitement about that, it, it, it I think you're going to actually a lower price point. The other thing you have to understand with games, and I'm sure you guys know this, is like Fortnite. These games have like multi-billion dollar budgets on totally different operating systems than the blockchain, which, I mean, blockchain is 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 so hard to build on that you have to pay money just to move money. Like something as simple as saying, this ETH should go to that guy. You know, you have to pay 50 bucks for it. You know, so the computing power of the blockchain is, is a limiting factor. But so those are some of the background why I'm not sure why this is the destination we're going after so aggressively. But the other thing I'll say, and this came out in Cool Cats, like there are a couple things that, that I've, I've seen this with. I think that the big money, the guys who are spending a ton of ETH, like don't want to learn games. And this hit me twice. You know, one was there was there was DT Chain who who was kind of, he's kind of a whale. He bought an alien punk, but he also bought he also bought like a laser eyed or a suit uh, ape for like three hundred twenty ETH. And the next he got addicted. The next day he went and he bought he like swept the floor for seven more. And then immediate next thing he did was he bought a bunch of one on one doodles. Okay, he went and bought doodles, and I'll, I'll hold that. And I'll get to why I think that's important. The CEO of Cameo had the same thing. He he bought an ape, and within like he he started getting the addiction that we get when we buy NFTs. And within a couple of hours, he was tweeting, "What doodle should I get for my wife?" The reason I think this is so important is because the whales, the big money, get addicted to the simplicity of NFTs. They like the simplicity. He yeah. he would not say which wolf game, uh, wolf should I go out and buy. He would not say which psychedelic anonymous set should I go out and buy because these things have are they're just a little too complicated. They're too confusing. The big money just likes this weird addiction, like the Steve Aoki addiction, you know, where you get the one of one, one on one and you hold it up on your phone when you're doing the show. Like there's that simplicity. And that is what is like creating the ape ecosystem, which is so expensive compared to like anything else. So I kind of think we're at a price point right now where like 
simplicity. And I, and I say this a lot, like what are the keys to NFT blue chips? Simplicity. And when Cool Cats made a game, okay, now I'm definitely not buying a Cool Cat because I don't know how to get the alpha. You, what you end up doing is you get really, really loyal insiders when you do games. You get insiders who love your game, who spend all their time in that Discord talking about it, strategizing. And that's huge. That means there's less selling. But you also create a big wall between buyers and sellers or insiders and outsiders. And I think that makes it a lot harder for these sets to do well over time because the insiders decay over time and you don't get the outsiders coming in. Most games, I think, or at least that have kind of gotten somewhat traction don't really have a free version of it. And I think that over time that could change, but I, I definitely agree with you where it does feel like there's, you know, super fans, I think is a, a good one where they're like, hey, yo, you got to get into this. This is going to be the greatest thing ever. And sometimes it's alpha, sometimes it's this. But, you know, back to your earlier point about kind of simplicity as well as that early hype. What do you think about these established projects? Because as you noted, you know, the front page is all these derivatives of whatever the hot project is. And I remember back when Doodles came out, there was all the derivatives. I'm pretty sure every Doodle derivative went to zero for Bored Apes. I mean, I think there's like a handful of them around. Some of them have completely different styles and stuff um, or different goals. But what, what's like the secret sauce moving forward? Like, is there a place where we can see these projects really kind of have new all time highs? Or for the most part, have we hit it on everything that we, I guess, currently call a blue chip? While I think there's a lot that's still unknown, this year to me has had a proof of concept. And that proof of concept is that. Just like Hermes bags, you know, are people are paying probably a hundred times what the actual materials are worth because of that brand. Just like we pay up for diamonds, even though they're 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 just status symbols. Like there are luxury goods out there that we pay up immensely for, you know, in the jewelry and the watches. You know, I think cars there's a bit more utility, but some of the stuff that really has no utility that really is just about status symbols and you know and, and wealth displays. And I think that there is a proof of concept here that that can transfer into NFTs. You know, like board apes are holding up incredible. Like board ape floor is still above ninety. You know, you're still. You know, just I would if you would have asked me six months ago, you're gonna have seven consecutive down weeks in the S and P five hundred. The S and P is gonna be down twenty percent. Ethereum is gonna gonna go from thirty five hundred to eighteen hundred. We're gonna be in a massive risk off environment. What would happen to board apes? You know, I think I would have said these things are gonna get crushed. Is they're just JPEGs, you know, especially now where there, there is like less clear utility, but they have held above 90 in this market. You know, clearly that's lower in U.S. dollars, but still they're doing incredibly well. So well, can I can I, can I, I jump on that point just for a second? Because it, it's something that I've kind of thought about. And I, I'm a younger individual. I'm like 27 and thinking, hey, what what is it like to get a house? I have certain friends and I've seen all these people talk about buying real estate. And obviously, like board apes aren't necessarily what real estate is because real estate is really expensive right now. But in my head, I'm like, holy crap, if people dislike the supply and demand and there is that value associated to only 10,000 of these things, what's better to buy a house that hopefully is going to appreciate where you have to maintain or just buy this, you know, JPEG? Yeah, I mean, if you're. If you're 27 and don't have family, then I think it's a good question. If you're my age and you got to buy a house because you got kids and one of whom's crying, so I just moved my computer. Um, my wife is taking care of him. But um, yeah, you know, I mean, houses have real utility. So there's a, I, think, I think it's a little bit different than comparing it to luxury items like watches or, uh, you know, or jewelry or, 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 you know, handbags and whatnot. I think there is a proof of concept this year that there is something about 
the connection people feel with NFTs. There is something about the identity you take by making it your profile picture. Uh, there's something about the status that goes with it that yeah. people are buying into. Does that mean that we're going to go to 200 ETH board apes or a million dollar you know, board apes or punks or whatever? Like, yeah, I have no idea. But I do. Uh, a year ago, I thought this whole thing was silly. And now that I'm here, I'm st- I'm sensing more and more longevity in this space. And I think like goblins are a good example. Like people just like I once tweeted, you know, DGENs miss the dopamine hits from buying and selling JPEGs more than they miss their money. <laughs> and it got a lot of retweets. People are like, yes. You know, I, I think bet. there's something kind of addictive about this game that that people like and feel connection to. And I, I don't think uh, I don't think it's going away. Which projects in the space currently would you classify as a quote unquote blue chip? That word gets thrown around so redundantly in the space. I'm curious to hear your thoughts before I get into the the next part of this. One thing I'll say, because I get this a lot because I do use the term sometimes is I actually don't care about the word blue chip. It's not that loaded to me. I yeah. base when people say, like, what do you mean by blue chip? I say, just replace it with anything that's had a floor above 20. ETH. Like, I'm this isn't loaded. I, you know, I'm just like that's kind of let's just do that um but to answer the question i have an index that i track where i like want to see how are the top projects doing and this was super interesting because i I found in april that this these six top projects or five top projects were up a hundred percent 150 percent when basically everything else i like made a basket of like 30 other sets that i'd consider like seven through 37 or 36 or whatever they were all down 30%. So top sets up 100, everything else down 30. And the ones that were in that top set were Doodles, Moonbirds, Clones, Bored Apes. I threw Mutant Apes in there and Azuki. Like those are the top six. Now I kind of just have one little set that I keep track of, which is like the Bored Apes ecosystem. But like, yeah, so Apes, Azuki, Moonbirds, Doodles, Clones. The obvious one missing is Punks. And the reason I didn't include Punks is because I feel like Punks are just a totally different game versus the, versus what these guys are doing. These guys are out there, active teams, trying to innovate, trying to create something, you know, trying to do in real life events, trying to do airdrops, trying to get their community engaged, whereas Punks don't, aren't doing none of that. So I was like, let's keep Punks on the side. Those are the ones that I put in that basket uh, as far as what I called like top six projects. I started calling them top top five, top six projects instead of blue chips, just because everyone had such loaded terms with blue chips and kept, kept like coming at me. And I was like, guys, I don't care about the word blue chip. Just these are the ones I'm talking about. Okay. Pick three. These are, um, again, this is kind of like a, a celebration podcast, right? Like episode 50. We're looking back at some of the episodes that we've done, right? We look back at some of these episodes and I'm just going to bring up three people that we've had on the show and I want you to tell me which of the three is your favorite and why of these three projects, all right? Let's do episode number nine, uh, Yam and Raf, founders of World of Women, so World of Women. Let's do episode number... 17, Evan, um, we had him on before they launched Doodles. Um, so we'll do Doodles, World of Women, and let's pick out one more here, one more project. Episode number 12, uh, CyberKongs, uh, the CyberKongs team. So if you were to pick one of those three to hold, which one would you and why? I hold Doodles. Um, I like, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with World of Women and hate's way too strong of a word, but like love slash acknowledge that they've made some mistakes that have really cost their holders a lot. 
And so, but I, I, I mean, I love Yam. Her art is amazing, and, I, so and Raph, Raph is great too. Like just good, good people. But the set has taken a hit, and and I think there are very real reasons for that. So, I, I, but Doodles, I, I go with Doodles. I, look, I Doodles are a super unique project, and I, what I like about Doodles is they march to their own drummer. You know, there was all this intensity around uh you know around airdrops and azuki drop beans and everyone's yelling at doodles because azuki passed them and doodles just kind of they're like no we don't we don't think that makes sense over the long term that's not the strategy that we have and that's why we didn't do it they did their space doodles which clearly didn't work i mean space doodles were i think were kind of a non-event at least in what we've seen so far but they at least tried something new and i think over time you know obviously they ended up doing duplicators and I don't know if that was falling for airdrops or we don't know what duplicators are yet, but I think over time doing what everyone else does is not going to work. And you need teams that are out there thinking a little bit differently, not that swayed by what worked for board apes last year, what worked, you know, did, how did the beans thing work kind of doing their own thing. And I, I get those vibes from the doodles founders. I, you know, I met them at South by Southwest. Um, you know, there, and, and I, look, I, I, when, when I listen to them on podcasts, my sense is, you know, that they, they, they have a vision and they know what their vision is and they're not like just going to give in to what crypt, NFT Twitter is yelling at them about. And I think that that, even though that doesn't let you moon as quickly, you know, as just kind of doing what's working for everyone else, I think over time that's going to get rewarded. So that's probably the one I'd pick between those three. The duplicator thing. What's your what, what do you think that's going to turn into? Because that's something that I'm eyeing and I'm like, are they going to make it where these are going to be producing NFTs? Uh, what is it going to be? Do you think it's going to be a standalone thing or do you think it's going to be like uh, something that gives additional NFTs? I, uh, I wonder if it's going to kind of interact with the doodle that you have kind of the same way serums do. But how does it work if, if they don't have a doodle? Because that's the other thing, because they said it'll work with or without. Oh, they said it'll work with or without? I believe the, so. I have to betray my ignorance a little bit here. Like, while I do own two doodles, I actually spend no time in the doodles Discord. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I that's so like, many people, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, like, that's what I was saying about simplicity. I like buying stuff. That I feel like this is kind of part of the meta here. This is part of the, the story. I like these teams. But I don't want to have to, like, I don't want to spend too much time. I got too many. I own too much to spend too much time in, in, in the Discords. And as a result, I don't make as much money as the traders do. You know, I got... I'm in the, I'm in, in one of my alpha groups, you know, there, there, there are two traders who only trade three sets and they just like are piling on W after W just making so much money, you know, and I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not really in this for that. I like that's, I'm, I'm, it, it actually like, I, I like making money. It makes it more fun and stuff like that. It's certainly, but like the role that I'm kind of taking within this community is more of an analytical one to kind of like, I'm like more excited that I get to be a witness to this movement that's so weird and so crazy to everybody we know who doesn't trade NFTs. And I get to be kind of an analytical mind around what's going on and like come up with charts and show things to the community that they that they uh, haven't seen before. More, more, more often than not, that, that tell stories that they already knew were true, but didn't have the chart to prove. That's kind of what I like doing. I'm more into that than I am into like trying to trade for gains. So I just like don't pay quite as close attention. I'm just like, I own it. I own two doodles. I'm going to keep the duplicators. That's part of the, if this asset class does well over time, I'll make money because I own all the big stuff. Uh, but that, that, that's kind of how I approach it. Okay. So two kind of follow-ups there. Number one, with you talking about analytics and stuff, I, I figure most of your stuff is done manually, but if there's any tools or anything that you find useful, would love to know what those are. And then uh, I guess kind of like just a follow-up with that. I feel that there is a lot of tools 
that are dropping NFTs and having these kind of like paid services within time, most of it is just going to end up free. So right now they're trying to like cash in on it while they can. But I feel like a lot of these, you know, tools and sites are just going to end up free in the long term. So curious if there's any tools that you use and your thoughts on ones having kind of like a paid subscription or, uh, you know, drop right now. For sure. So, so the way I do it is I, I have these scripts that I run, I run them every 12 hours and they grab a bunch of stats from as many open C sets as I can possibly add to the, to the thing. So I, I like, I, I collect total owners, floor price, 24 hour volume, total sales, average sale. I collect that all every single day automatically at like 9am and 9pm Eastern time. Um, so through that, I start building out a really rich history of like floor price histories, like volume history. And it's kind of off that that I run my analysis. So I'll like use that to the floor prices to build my index for like how large, you know, how large cap NFTs are trading or whatnot. What I found was I was trading. So I was, I was posting all these like charts and like conclusions in my Twitter, but I felt like I had an unfair advantage over my, over readers because they didn't know the data and only I did. So what I did was I made all of my floor data and volume data free to everybody. And there's a link in my bio. I update it once a day. Uh, and it has daily floors and volume for as many sets as I can possibly find. So anybody can always go to the link in my bio and you'll get a history of basically all the open sea floors going back as far as I can get it for a bunch of sets. So that that's what I've done. You know, sometimes I'll go to flips.finance. I think like uh, Mando and OSF, like those guys at, at Rug Radio have done a great job. I love those guys. And, you know, Flips Finance is a great site that has just tons of data. So if I miss stuff, I'll go grab it there. If I just want to like do something quickly, I'll get it there. Wagme.io has floor price histories for traits. They've been keeping track of traits. I don't think anyone else does that. So I think that you can get that on their premier version, though I don't have that. Um, Nansen has decent macro data. So sometimes like I got a, Mac, a Nansen subscription for a month, but it's just so expensive. It's like 400 bucks, either I think 400 a quarter. Um, and you can't even download the data. But I, I went on there and I got like I use I had it for a month or a quarter. Yeah, I'd use that to get like macro data, like how many open sea users over the past week and some of like the big picture things that I think are important, people have less access to. So I use some of those. The, the problem with those sites though is they're overwhelming. They give you so much data, and I think people don't always know what to do. And what I try to do is like turn data into narratives. You know, it's like mix the data with what I'm hearing in the alpha groups, what I'm hearing on Twitter, what I'm seeing as I buy and sell. You know, I sold an ape recently, I'm trying to buy. So like what I'm seeing and doing that, like I try to layer these narratives onto data. And that has, I think, what been what's like allowed this account to grow so much. Love that. Something that we've talked about a lot. So Vaughn and I actually met through NBA Top Shot, like a lot of people in the NFT space. Um, early on, it was it was kind of naturally that that bridge, that networking um, connection, uh, if you if you please. And we've talked about it a lot because we both, you know, we we both were uh, were pretty heavily invested early on, and then obviously have moved on to to different projects and in the NFT space overall. But it's fun looking back, like as I sit here and I'm looking at the titles of all of these last 50 episodes, you know, reading, you know, title number six of episode number six in July of 21, is NBA Top Shot Dead with Plunge Father and Steph Sudo? And and then just, you know, scrolling up to episode number 29 and seeing NBA Top Shot is back, dot, 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 maybe. It looks like this is, you know, it's always been a, it's been a common theme. It's been something that we've talked about a lot. I am very curious 
to hear your thoughts on NBA Top Shot. Were you ever involved? So this is going to be my most disappointing answer of this of, of this conversation. I don't have a strong view on NBA Top Shot. Uh, I'd say about a year and a half ago when I was like, I actually was pretty anti-NFTs for a while. I just thought they made no sense. And I had a friend who I'd always, he was like in NBA Top Shot. And I'd argue like why it didn't make any sense. But that version of myself would think the version that is on this podcast with you right now is completely crazy. So I can't lean on my year, like year, year ago version of self to like have too strong of an opinion. Um, I did buy one just uh, like way back before I was in NFTs, but you know, almost all the work I've done has been kind of in this like post yuga PFP. Yeah. Maybe some other, and I'm a photographer myself. So I like following photography. Like that's just where all my attention's been. Um, the one NBA top shot I bought, I probably couldn't find if you put a gun, like it's probably just gone into the ether somewhere. So I, I don't have a strong, all that strong of a view would be, it would be fun. Like with my new kind of lens to go back and, and try to think and try to analyze it a bit more. But I did, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of, uh, a, a disappointing answer. I'm sure. So no, it's not disappointing at all. Yeah, yeah no, I, I don't think so. The the takeaway that I have with that, though, and I mean, you mentioned it earlier, I probably should have brought it up, but you had negative view of NFTs and then changed. And I mean, I remember when I first opened a Top Shot back and I was like, oh, this is stupid when I first yeah. learned about it, too. But I think that there seems to be somewhat of an openness where people kind of, you know, not always, but eventually are like, okay, this is cool. They might not, you know, get into it very heavily, but what was that sticking point for you where you kind of, I don't know, I guess like respected it after being, you know, against it. I think it was, it, 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 it was a few, a few friends kind of back from finances. And I mentioned this earlier, like, but I, I had two or three friends who I really respected who were buying punks. Uh, and one friend who was like, it was, it was just so bullish on punks. And I think that this wasn't about punks. This was about people being bullish NFTs in general. Um, you know, once you're in the ecosystem, you realize how much hair each project has on it and kind of how the waves are moving within the space. But a year ago, being bullish on punks just basically meant you were bullish on this idea of NFTs. And, um, it, I went from being super cynical to seeing a couple people who I really respected, who were extremely successful, good investors, uh, buy a couple punks in Amoebit. And I was like, oh. I started just paying attention more. And then you start looking and the price starts running away from you. This was like when Visa bought theirs and when there was the 100 punk sweep uh, in August of last year. And you're like, oh, maybe I'll buy it. And then suddenly, instead of it being 200 grand, it's 400 grand. And like your FOMO just starts kicking in overdrive. Um, so luckily I didn't buy at that moment, but I did start thinking like, I think I want to get one of these. Uh, so I, I, it was just kind of one thing led to another, but certainly like proof of like validation through trusted people and then watching it, paying attention to it and starting to like find myself wanting one, you know, which, uh, I did not expect myself to ever kind of do. We've been relatively positive throughout this podcast. You know, we always got to throw a little bit of spice into it. One thing that I got told by a friend once, and I feel that it's accurate, but it's very rarely talked about, is within the NFT space, in some cases, there are cook groups, a group of people who have enough capital to be able to artificially, technically actually move the price, but it's an artificial. And then, you know, you have regular people that jump in thinking, oh, this has like actual volume from that. How big of a problem do you think that actually is in the NFT space? You mean just like, market manipulation and 
I mean, look, I, I think there's a ton of market manipulation. Like, I think it's harder on ETH because of gas fees and because of, uh, yeah, because of gas fees, because of royalties, because of open sea fees or looks fees, like whatever. I think it is a little harder to kind of play these games, but clearly you have influencers who can move markets. And you know, like, once you have that power, it's hard not to want to do it to your advantage. So that happens a ton. Uh, I've been in sets where I saw people literally just like, like just pump the hell out of them and then dump three hours later trying to, because momentum begets momentum. And, you know, one thing that's happened certainly over the past, like I saw this happen a lot, like in February, March is like icy tools got really in favor. The first thing that happens when you go to open seas kind of main page is you see the volume, like what's had the most volume for 24 hours. So there was this idea that if you can get volume, then you get attention and you get like all these people who buy based on volume and like, that's all you really need to pump and then dump. So there's like no question in my mind that that is a massive strategy in this game. It's used a ton. But the other thing that's happening is there's just a, there's just a ton of insider information and insider trading, you know, and having worked in traditional finance, like I was reading an article recently, a guy who worked at Netflix who got sentenced to 14 months in jail uh, because he traded a Netflix stock based on insider information. Like, these are the types of things that are like really, really highly punishable in the traditional financial world because they know that it is so easy for insiders and people with privileged information to make money, which essentially takes money from like everyday people. It's just too easy to do. And in our space, it is so excessively common. And you saw it with uh, when, you know, when clones were bought by Nike. Uh, you know, for three days, you had clones suddenly pumping, even people tweeting something big's about to happen over over a corporate announcement, which would just be unheard of in traditional finance. Um, when Mebits, you know, when Yuga got bought, bought Larva, you know, Mebits pumped for three days. It's almost like we accept insider information, which is a transfer of wealth from everyday traders and everyday collectors to insiders. Like we almost accept that as part of the space. Uh, so I think that, I think it's a huge problem. And I, I think like, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons that with my account, I'm just like, so obsessively transparent about what I own. I just want to at least be like one kind of source where like, just kind of like trying to provide information is what, uh, is what you come to me for. And sometimes I'm flipping, sometimes, sometimes I get facts wrong. Like, I am you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm tweeting, I'm not writing newspaper articles, but like, I at least really try for truth to be, uh, to be kind of a cornerstone of what I do. Cause I think it is just so incredibly uncommon in this space, largely because there's just so many easy ways to make money by, by being a bit manipulative. Completely agree. We have a lot of, of founders of projects that listen to this show. Lots of people that obviously we've had on that are founders. A couple episodes ago on episode 48, we had Insight and, and Sir Joey from Chimpers um, talking about their upcoming drop. Um, I, I want to ask you this question for founders that are listening out there. What advice would you give them? The best advice that you could give when launching their project? I think that, um, I mean, one thing I think is that this is a very, very hard game. And I think like go into it, like, I think there's kind of this, sometimes a mentality of if we have art, like if we have a great art and put it out there, we'll figure everything else out as we go. And I think that what you've seen happen this year is that people did that, you know, four to six months ago, and then their communities need to know what's next. And what everyone's doing is they're doing what you did last year, which is they're doing airdrops, you know, and airdrops. And I've tweeted about this a lot, like airdrops have stopped working. You know, there have been pre-airdrop pumps and then they 
you know, 70 to 80% of them are just dumping right after they hit because, you know, they didn't bring in outside money, uh, whatever it was that, you know, they didn't bring in outside money. Um, the community saw that as the catalyst. And when it passed, they didn't know what to look forward to next. So like doing what other people have done hasn't worked well. So I think like you only want to get into this game of getting all these collectors who put immense financial investment behind you. I mean, someone, if you, if you get up to one ETH, you got people putting two grand into just one of your NFTs, like, and you don't want to let them down. Like most people don't. And I think you have to really think like in terms of two to three years, how do we make our brand? How do we make this? What you're doing is you're building a brand. That's what you're doing. You're, it, it, no different from Gucci, like no different from the nightclub that you like to go to. Like why do people go there? Cause they like those brands. No different from a high-end alcohol brand that people like how that makes them feel like what's your strategy for making that work for two to three years. How do you, you know, I, I say there are four keys to NFT projects doing well. The first is art and branding that people connect with. The second is simplicity. I think, and we talked about this earlier and many different views, but I think you need to keep it simple so that money just like people like me can invest and be part of it and like being part of it without feeling like we're missing all the alpha and it gets too confusing. The third thing, and this is so important, is anticipation. Like there needs to be like anticipation, mystery, something that people have to look forward to. Uh, and when you start hitting people with those, you need more. So don't drop something. Like, you know, if you, like apes dropped ApeCoin, but then they immediately started talking about land. They dropped mutants and then they started talking about ApeCoin. Like giving people reason to kind of like want to hold on till tomorrow. Keeping anticipation is huge. Uh, so I think, I think those are three things. The fourth thing that I say is like, is in real life events that kind of create gravitas and make you see like you're a brand that is like, has longevity and is going to be in it for a long time. And it's very hard to do all that well, but those are uh, some of the things I think are important. Okay. So you brought something that is, I think, very, very important as collectors that we reflect on and I'll ask your opinion on this. I'm assuming you know Creature World. Danny Cole made a tweet a while back, or it might have been Andrew Wang, uh, but I, I think it was Danny. And it was about him, you know, wanting to do Twitter spaces and whatnot. But when he jumped on that, he was kind of like attacked for people, you know, saying, oh, like, why aren't you working on making the project more valuable? Why aren't you working to bring up the floor? And for Andrew Wang, he was uh, an individual who hosts different Twitter spaces, and he was the one that hosted Zagabond. After the news broke that uh, Z previously worked on uh, several projects that ended up not going really anywhere after their mint, and now he's on Azuki. And from him simply just hosting that space, there was a lot of vitriol and attacks to him. And I think we've seen across the board a lot of founders say, like, hey, I'm stressed out. And, you know, the NFT market as a whole is a very high stress environment. And I think we've ended up kind of, I guess, weeding out a lot of people that can't handle it, right? We've had a lot of people that are still going through it. And I think that they're, you know, struggling behind the scenes. And with the market kind of turning back a little bit, I'm curious, are we at a point now where people are respecting of that aspect? And it's not just Moon City and you think, hey, you know, we'll let these projects grow. Or do you think the vast majority of the NFT marketplace is still we need it, we need it now. If not, we're complaining. And just like, because I mean, you have to think for for these people that are really putting themselves out there and wanting to create this big vision, it's tough in this environment. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole lot there, right? I mean, one of the questions is how do like what makes NFTs go up over time? Like, you know, when 
when Ape from you know Apes went from September to March and didn't deliver much. They just kept this lingering anticipation of ApeCoin, and Apes ended up flipping punks, you know, and then going from fifty to hundred uh, in the beginning of twenty twenty two, and they didn't really do much. And a lot of the teams that are out there doing a lot, tweeting a lot, like people are like ah, those vibes don't really work for me. It's like it's a one thing I always say is that they're like when people say, oh, the team is so great, like most teams are great at a lot of stuff, but they're not great at making the floor price or the price of their NFTs go higher. Okay. Cause it's a very weird recipe. We don't even know what that recipe looks like. We, there's not enough data out there. Like what is it about the products that have done well? And why is it that like Boss Beauties, Cool Cats, World of Women, I mean, each one has their own exam reason, but why is it that some of these just fade into oblivion while others don't, you know? And I, so I think there is one question like, when you say get the floor price higher, like it's it's extremely difficult, you know, and it it's more art than science. And no one, no one, no one is better at it than Yuga. Uh, like they've just done an incredible job with it. But that that's one thing I'd say is I don't think it's totally clear. The, the second thing I'll say is as I've gotten more followers on Twitter and I get, you know, and I tweet a lot of stuff that's negative. You know, I'm not someone who's out there and I pump bags a lot, like and I, I never try to, but if something positive is happening with a set, I will announce it and i'll say you know dgen tunes in a in a bear market went from 0.3 to 3 eth you know i'm like what's going on here and i'll tweet that and all the dgen tunes retweet it and but i'm really trying to analyze what's going on um but i tweet negative stuff too and one thing i find is the vast majority of people in the space actually want to have interesting conversations and respect people it, like this surprised me but i actually find the vast vast majority of people are like i see what you're saying like that makes sense we'll make it better. But the four or five people that show up in your comments are the four or five people that like anything that's not glowing about their project will act as though you just insulted their family publicly and they just come after you and you end up responding to, or I end up responding to them and then I have back and forth. And it's like the four like obsessive Azuki holders are the ones who I end up like discussing a simple chart about how Azuki holders have gone down and you think people are crazy. I think we have to like realize that when we operate in this space, it's like that 1% of people who get all the attention and who really like hit you hard. Um, but most people aren't like that. Uh, so it's, I think like figuring out how to like create distance from that, like don't have a three tweet back and forth, like just like their last post and move on. You know, these are things that as I've gotten more followers, you just get more opinions coming at you. And I've just kind of learned like, okay, if I disagree, like we'll just like their last post and then move on to the next guy. Uh, it, you know, and, and that's, that's been an important skill for me to learn is, as just as I've gotten more feedback on the stuff I do. Yeah. I, I got a qu- last question really for you. Where do you see this space? Let's just call it midterm and long-term. Where, where do you see us by the end of 2022 and where do you see this space? What, what's your overall vision for where the space is going within the next five years and, and past that? Um, curious to hear your thoughts on that. And again, can't thank you enough for jumping on the show and sharing so much valuable insight for all of our listeners. And I'm sure Vaughn will kind of wrap things up with his last question as well. But that's that's the last one from me. Cool. And thanks to you guys. I mean, congratulations on all the kind of special talent you guys have gotten on here. And thanks for having me. I'm super honored that you guys uh, kind of gave me the invitation. But um, end of year, you know, I it's like if you asked like like a year one year ago punks were all that mattered in nfts and being in the punks discord was like a huge honor now nobody's there you know apes went from you know apes apes went up three thousand x in their first year if you actually look at like the returns in us dollars and all the airdrops predicting out eight months is so incredibly difficult i mean eight months ago uh azuki didn't exist 
you know, eight months ago, I don't even think Clone X existed eight months ago. Um, Doodles, you know, around this. So that just puts in perspective how how hard it is to predict what's going to happen over the next eight months. I think I, I think we continue to get kind of new brands that are like kind of. I think we keep getting what we've been getting, which is I don't think this space is going anywhere. I I, I think it's going to continue to. Uh, have, have like winning sets and winning identities that people want to be part of and associate with. Uh, I don't know which ones those will be. I'm like really curious what's going to happen with Yuga. They just have their hands so full right now. Like what's going to happen with apes? I, like I have, we could do a whole session on that. So it's hard for me to know which ones. I, I still like Moonbirds. I, I like still, I like Clone X. I just think like I, I mentioned earlier, I think Doodles, while Doodles don't read the room perfectly all the time, I think that over time, they're going to do well. So there are a few that I think a few of the, these blue chips will continue to excel. I, you're going to see that for the, you know, in December, and I'm sure more stuff will come up. What I think happens longer period over time is that this is like this is like one of the best places in the world to build a brand. Okay, people love brands. Like we're obsessed with whatever beer we like. We're obsessed with whatever luxury clothes we like. Or, you know, I've mentioned handbags. We're obsessed with jewelers. Like people just gravitate towards great brands that make them feel good. And I think one of the interesting things about NFTs, it's like when you buy an Hermes handbag, okay, let's say, let's say someone goes crazy and buys a $20,000 Hermes handbag. You're probably paying a hundred bucks for the bag. Like maybe there's a hundred bucks, 200 bucks for something that carries stuff around. And there's like 29.8, thousand yeah twenty nine thousand dollars of brand you're really just buying brand that's ninety nine percent of what you're buying the bag is just a sideshow but we at least say okay I have a, a bag to prove it with nfts you're just getting into a brand you don't have that bag that you can carry around it's just deliberately I'm buying this because I want to connect with this brand I want to connect with this team I want to connect with this community it makes me feel good to own it like that's what it is and it's bringing something that we've been doing for years out we just kidded ourselves by saying oh it's actually the bag I like or, oh, it's like, I like wearing this ring, but really it's just like the brand of having a big diamond. We're doing what we've been doing forever. It's just very, very explicit. I think what's going to happen in the future is the great brand makers, the great creatives out there, like the people who are in Hollywood making TV shows, the people who are building clothing brands, building restaurants. Like, I think they're going to start coming NFTs. They're going to be like, this is like the best place to raise money and to like just explicitly build a brand and then use that money as a launch pad for building something bigger. Uh, so you want to like create a TV show that you sell the Nickelodeon or whatever, like start with an NFT and the people who are like working in Hollywood right now and really have that talent, you know, doodles guys came from crypto kitties. Like it's a, it's a different skill set. Like I think eventually we're going to start getting like the, the genius brand builders come and doodles guys have built a brilliant brand, but I think you're going to get the guys who have that rich experience and they're going to start starting with NFTs. And this is going to be the place to go that, that you build products that people connect with. I think that's kind of where we're going over like the three to four or five year, year process. Two final things for me. First of all, what do you think the most efficient onboarder method is going to be before getting people into NFTs? Man, not again, this is just like another topic that I can like ramble forever for because I've done a ton of work on hacks. And I think like we victim blame so much in this space. And it's one of the worst things about NFTs. Um, it's a great question. I like I would not recommend my mom to buy an NFT. It's just too big of a minefield when it comes to scam possibilities and getting hacked. So I think we need I would, you know, I think one of the big stories of this year has been that Coinbase hasn't been what we hoped it would be. 
And when I say what we hoped it would be, I just mean like an on-ramp for NFTs, which is as easy as buying Bitcoin. Um, you don't have to get MetaMask. You don't have to get a seed phrase. You don't have to transfer your NFT to a hard wallet. You don't have to, maybe you don't even have to tie it into collab.land and do that in order to get into Discord. Like all these things are risk points that are so, that make normal people who don't live in this space so vulnerable and we need to get rid of them. And I thought that Coinbase could be that. You know, buying Bitcoin isn't exactly easy, but it's so much easier than buying an NFT. So I, I do think we need some of these like more trusted kind of Web 2-ish type platforms to get a, a little bit more volume. And maybe it actually just looks like a gem-like platform that kind of plugs in on top of the other exchanges, um, even though I know gem is owned by OpenSea, um, in, in order to access liquidity. But we just got to make it easier because very, very smart, very, very careful people are getting hacked. And, um, you know, people who just haven't learned the space are so vulnerable and it's just not, it just doesn't work for sustaining users over time. And finally, what would the new version of you in this NFT space tell the old version of you? I think it's, uh, I, I it's the type of thing, and I've, I've tweeted this about uh, before, like, there is something that happens when you buy an NFT and connect with it. And like, you have like, or you're like buying whatever it is, a quirky, you know, I bought a lot of quirkies very early on. It was like one of my better trades and I've had many bad trades, but it was one of my better ones. I like bought one and then I just wanted to buy three more. And I was like, you know, I actually want a laser eyes and I actually didn't buy a laser. I want a rainbow puke. And it's, you know, maybe I'll just pay up another like 0.05 ETH and get the rainbow puke. And there's something about going through that process where you start to get connected to the collectibles and want more that I think explains a lot. So I think it's like all about kind of like encouraging people who haven't done it. If if you think NFTs would be good for them and they, you want them to turn into the DGENs that we are, uh, to like go through that process, like buy, it just helps you understand. And there's nothing I could do to explain to like a person outside of the space why nfts make sense it, it like just it just doesn't register until you've done it and that was like my transition that certainly happened when i kind of started getting into punks originally and then bought more um but i think it's 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 not about trying to rationalize it to people it's just about getting people to do it and uh you know and then start to feel that connection that people who like collectibles of any sort kind of get into listen this has been an absolute banger i think we couldn't possibly have created a better 50th episode to make the mark right. on it. If you guys have enjoyed this conversation and you're wanting to follow nftstatistics.eth down here on Twitter, it's at punk9059. Sir, sincerely, thank you so much for bringing your insight and your different knowledge and the perspective. This has probably been one of my favorite debates uh, we've ever really had in conversations as a whole, but I uh, really want to thank you for uh, taking the time. Yeah, thanks, guys. You guys, uh, you know, definitely love the questions and the insight you guys bring and uh, look forward to hearing your episodes in the future. I know that we use Twitter a lot within the NFT space. And one of my favorite things with NFTs as a whole is the connectivity to people and Twitter really making that great. And honestly, just came across their threads and uh, NFT statistics dot ETH punk nine zero five nine, a whole bunch of different names we can uh, call them, but we call them the man. For right now, but I, I think that it's it's really enlightening having kind of in-depth conversations where I feel at times when you're on Twitter, there's a lot of drama, not really any kind of, you know, good discussions happening. Yeah, absolutely. I also I think that his vantage point about everything that we've seen with goblins was really spot on. 
I think that it was very fat. One of my favorite takes that he had was them moving their marketing campaign in front of the veil as as opposed to behind of it being Discord, right? And them talking about everything that they do without having a Discord and seeing how that's worked out and worked very, very well for them as a specific project. When we might have looked at it before they launched and fudded it because, you know what, what kind of a fish launches a project without a Discord? Um, <laughs> clearly, it's it's worked out. Well, so, so I'm trying to think, and I don't know if you remember, but there was a project... I'm not going to say because I'm curious if this is your same reaction because we might be right. But there was a project that within like the first two to three ish weeks, maybe a month, like rocketed to I want to say like a three to five eighth floor. And we were like, damn it. That was super obvious. What project do you think that was? If anything registers and I'll tell you what I think the project was because that's what Mm. goblins just did. And I think that there is. Potentially a correlation between these two. Maybe I'm drawing a blank. There's been a lot of projects we've talked about over the last 50 years. So I think, again, I might be wrong, but I think that it was Doodles. Like there was a project that came out and then it seemed like in warp speed, it flew. And but, but there's a big difference, right? There's a huge difference. Doodles had the team, they had the marketing, they they had the hype leading up to it. They obviously, uh, you know, you're right. No, you're right. You know what right. I mean? This was like, bro, it's out of the blue. It was just out of left. Like, yo, goblin is here. Field. Fuck is a goblin. Like, I guess I need to buy one because it's going on this crazy run. And then you're like, you're you're truly, you know, the saying in the NFT space, you're buying the hype. That's literally what you're doing here. Uh, but again, to give credit where credit's due. Clearly, this team, whoever it is, knows what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> I think that it's cool that we're seeing kind of different iterations of what's successful. If you guys remember, like, Goop or Gop dudes, those are the people that were on the Twitter space, and they're making, like, Gop sounds, and then goblins come out and then they do that same thing and it's almost you know we haven't seen it too often i guess the prime example is just people doing airdrops of different nfts uh that are more of like a kind of companion drops because that's what board apes did originally but some of these kind of like creative ideas that work i think i think something that if you're an nft collector right now notice some of these like small details or things that you uh, remember 24 hours after it happens anything you remember the memory is really, really short, especially in NFT times. And any time that there is something that their project does that finds immense success in terms of just kind of a reaction in general, I think maybe there's something to it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. Listen, there's hope. If goblins can fly to an 80th floor within a couple of weeks, then like every project's going to be able to make it. Every project. Like, you'll, you'll guys, listen, if you're a creator out there and you're trying to build your project and you're like, man, we're in the middle of this absolute bear market. This is rough. You know, the reality is, I mean, listen, look, just look. Point case example. You can do it. Uh, you just have to have the right, uh, the right marketing, the right hype and pull the right strings at the right time, which obviously they have. Uh, Vaughn, it's been an absolute pleasure. 50 episodes in. I know that we didn't get a chance to talk a lot, you and I, uh, just together on this show. But looking back at the last 50 episodes and looking forward into the next 50 episodes that we're going to do together, a year into the NFT space, we've interviewed 
practically all, I say all of the biggest projects. There's still a few on that bucket list that obviously we're, we're going to get um, here in the future, at least try our best to. Um, but man, we've talked to so many phenomenal creators, so many phenomenal artists, so many phenomenal brains in the NFT space over the last year. And it's been what a ride. Me coming in as this noob and fish and not understanding the space at all. You know, you have, man, you've, you've really been uh, such an amazing soundboard and, and knowledge board for me to be able to, to piggyback off of and, and learn. And hopefully, you know, by me learning, it's, it's helped everybody else at home that's been listening through this entire journey become a lot more knowledgeable in this space as well. So I want to thank you. I, I really do uh, for educating and teaching so much. And, and man, we're just getting started. Well, I, I appreciate the kind words. And I think one of the takeaways that I really have with the aspect of reflecting, because it feels that for these milestones, it's really what you do, is that if you've been listening for the podcast for since the beginning, if you've been listening for, let's say, the past three episodes, your experiences of what his shot to the moon is are probably incredibly different, but it's about the memories. And realistically, when people talk about it's the friends you've made along the way with NFTs, I think that's something that we, you know, should get excited about, should be appreciative about and really know that based off that interview, one of the things that he said, we're going to be creating brands. That's what NFTs are. There's going to be so many other brands that are powerhouse business people that are going to come through and really make waves. And it's a reminder that we're early. And for those of you that have stayed and listened for 50 episodes, think of the knowledge that we have. Think of the open-mindedness, the discussions, the point of view from these different projects and what we've kind of learned and being able to take that for this next wave. It's really exciting to me. Really exciting. And you know, the most exciting thing going back to the beginning of the podcast, when you mentioned that that floor system, where are we at in the building? Are we in the basement? Are we on the first floor? If we're still in the basement, we spent 50 episodes in the basement. How many episodes are we going to spend in the first floor? <laughs> Yo, that's a real question. And does it happen where we go through the building a lot quicker? Like it felt like NFTs Great were going point. at warp speed before. And like, do you feel like it slowed down a little bit? I do. I do. I do. I feel like a lot of reflection in the space has happened. And I think you would be the better person to ask because you have such a good pulse on the space as a general rule. I think a lot of people that are sharp in the space, similar to yourself, have done a lot of reflection, self-reflection for their own portfolios, for which collections they're investing in. And I think we've seen this reflection period over the last six months. Uh, I think that you're going to start seeing some things start moving at warp speed uh, in the coming months. And again, you look at things through the optimistic lens. I think people are going to look at examples of projects that find success and think to themselves, listen, if fucking goblins can do it, so can we. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love the attitude. Now, of course, guys, 50 episodes in, we got to thank and highlight our favorite sponsor over at Nifted underscore on Twitter. If you're looking to get the physical displays of your NFTs in a physical form, well, 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 if you go to nifted.com, you'll be able to look at their different products. Again, they sell out super quick. Physical to, to non-physical, the, the NFTs to the physical world, the digital to the physical is a 
It's a real bridge that these guys have done a phenomenal job of creating very early on. And, and for what it's worth, we got a little bit of alpha. I, I recorded a segment um, specifically with Kyler, which is one of the co-founders of Nifted, recently and had a chance to talk to him, pick his brain, peel back the, the layers. And we're going to share some of those clips in future podcasts along with future things that we're going to do on the website. But I am happy to let you guys know they have some big plans for the third and fourth quarters here in 2022. So something to look forward to. I can't share too much, but they are going to be, uh, let's just call it adding utility for their their NFT displays. Yeah, excited for it. Now, another kind of partnership that we've gotten into, which we're really excited to announce, is with Look Lab. So for anyone that is known, I've been incredibly bullish on that project and I've gotten pretty close with the team. And so what's going to happen is we're going to be doing different events throughout the Shot to the Moon podcast. So at the end of episodes, we might have a segment with me where it's kind of an update of what's going on with Look Labs and specifically within the Discord. And overall, we're going to be really involved with the different events and happenings that go on over there. And obviously for the Shot to the Moon Space Pass holders, that's going to mean a whole bunch of different giveaways and fun experiences around the entire uh, events that they're going to create and they have a massive team, and we're excited to kind of bring some fun, bring some energy, and introduce you to a massive community that we are very, very excited to be working with and think that they are going to be uh, at the forefront of the futures of uh, Web3 here, and we're really excited to partner with them for that. Now, if you are somebody who has an endgame NFT and you're looking at playing game one and you're looking for a hero to join, I want you to know that I do own the crypto hero, which is the uh, purple uh, we'll call her goddess. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll kind of keep you updated as these different events happen. It feels like it's kind of a little bit of hunger games mixed with squid game. There's going to be a whole lot to it, but also we're going to be covering 420 game and future stuff. They do. We're excited to partner, keep building our legacy and really build up even more so on this next 50 episodes. Absolutely, man. This is, this is going to be a super cool, you know, what's cool about this you you think about things. You look at things objectively and, and subjectively and look at everything through this lens. Episode one through 50, partnership with Nifted. That's pretty freaking cool. That partnership's continued, but adding this additional feather, adding this additional partner in what we're building out at episode 50 during this milestone it's kind of cool, man. Maybe maybe I'm acting a little bit weird about these these milestones and when we're partnering with certain people, but the reality is this is part of our evolution as a podcast, as a community, and frankly, I cannot wait to highlight the Look Labs team. You're right, the reflection. I'm excited for this. It's been fun. And listen, if you've been a part of our community, whether listening, whether being in our NFT, whether it's just being in the space cuz really we're all connected and that's what web3 is all about. Sean, 50 episodes in, it's been a banger. Hey, all I know, episode 51 through 100 are going to be an even bigger... Triple, double, banger! We're just getting started, guys. I can't wait to continue on to the moon, getting back to our real roots, owning our identity as a project, as a team, as a podcast. We're not going anywhere, baby. We're here to stay, and we hope you guys are too. Until next week. My name's Sean Pfeiffer. Good night. Good skill. Most importantly, God bless. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Shot to the Moon. With that being said, of course, 
We have the dispatch coming up, but as you know, as we mentioned in the podcast, we have the sponsorship with Look Labs. Partnership? What exactly does it mean? Well, you're going to get updates for what's going on with the Look Labs ecosystem, and recently, Redbeard was on my stream as we held the Endgame Hero Ball raffle for Vlad and Burnout. The way to enter that was people needed to burn game keys. I think there was over 20 entries each for these. And uh, here's a little update from Redbeard about what's going on with Look Labs. And next week, you'll hear from me a little bit more. Enjoy. Ultimately, Look Labs is an NFT gaming studio. We plan on dropping dozens of project games over the next couple of years. We have a lot more coming this year. We have NFT gaming projects. We have, you know, different style projects coming, but it's all going to be under the Look Lab studio. Going into next year, we plan on launching a studio where you, as a user who is not a dev, can launch your own game on the Look Lab studio. We have basically two projects right now. We have the 420 game, which is in development. It's very complex. Genie is working Double time, he's getting four or five hours of sleep a night. He has five devs supporting him in building a medium level of engagement game. Uh, it's all on chain for 420. And the, what's the goal of 420? The goal of 420 is to earn high tokens. The high token is a Web2 token. It will soon, uh, in the near future, you will be able to transfer that high token for an on-chain LL token. And so that is how the 420 game works. We also have the Endgame series, which is primarily story-based. It is not a Fortnite-level game. The, the Endgame is not a very detailed game yet. You know, it's really focused on the story. But later today, we have the option for you for all characters to come on and to pick a team. Uh, you're going to want to choose your team of the main character of Endgame. So we have all these main characters that we've released. You're going to want to choose wisely and choose your team for the next event that will happen in a few weeks from now. So for Endgame, you're going to choose your team. Basically, the way that the team is going to work, this is we did drop a white paper for Endgame that talks briefly about how this first event is going to go. But basically, you need to choose your team and every team, every team leader who, you know, every person who owns a, a main character like Schiller owns Crypto. So you can join Schiller's team. Uh, Hadouken, he has a character. Uh, Boomer just bought Ariel last night, so you can join his team. But essentially, when a team gets to a set amount of people, that team will be locked and it will be full and it will be closed out. And, and you won't be able to join a character on that team anymore. Fast forward a couple weeks, there will be events. The worst performing teams will die. There will be major blood the main characters are immune to death, but the players on their team will will die if certain metrics aren't met, which we will be releasing later. But for right now, your your um, as an as anybody who's playing in the end game, your job is to join uh, the team that you feel uh, loyalty to, passion for. You like the you like the the hero character, and so choose wisely. Prepare for a lot of surprises over the coming weeks, depending on the team you choose. And then as Endgame progresses and the comic story progresses, the game it, uh, will also progress as well. We'll have a little more interactive things. But again, 
Endgame is really focused on the story and for you to keep your character alive, upgrade them in the store that's coming, and earn end tokens, which will all be um, swappable for LL tokens when we drop those later. So uh, that is the end game, and that's how that works. Under two weeks from now, we will be we will be dropping a new project that will be highly interactive. Um, it will be a um, it will be an interactive web-based games that you will be able to play for hours on end to try and achieve high scores and achieve level ups in order to win Look Lab gift cards. The Look Lab gift cards are going to be on-chain NFTs that you will be able to win through the arcade. These, these NFT gift cards will also be given away in all the other projects that we do randomly as kind of Easter egg awards in Endgame and also 420. And you'll be able to take these um, Look Lab NFT gift cards and you'll be able to trade them on OpenSea if you don't want anything. Or you can redeem them on the Look Labs merch store. It's store.looklabs.com. We have a bunch of merch on there right now, but uh, we have a lot more things coming. We have Oculus is coming. We have Xbox is coming. We have jewelry coming. We got sneakers coming. We have all sorts of stuff that we're that we're building out. And our and our goal and our plan is to load that store up with a bunch of cool shit that people are going to want uh, with these gift cards. And so the gift card is going to be the primary kind of giveaway thing in this new thing that's dropping in a couple of weeks. It's called the Look Labs Arcade. Within Look Labs, it's really important that everybody understands this that. The game key that we have is kind of the genesis thing. It's the genesis item in the Look Labs ecosystem. The game key originally started out as uh, something that was just used to play 420. That was before I came on and I, and I joined Green Genie for this grander studio vision. But the game key is being redesigned. It is being reimagined and will be the, the ultimate key for everything that Looks Labs does in the future. So right now, uh, you've, got, you've got your game key for the 420. You, if you held a game key, you've got free mints for the end game. For the arcade that's dropping later, you're going to get a big load of arcade tokens by having a game key. And then as more projects come out in the future, more NFT games or more NFT collections, People that are holding game keys will access those things for free. Everything is going to be around the game key. We are going to have more um, events like we did in the last couple of days where people had the opportunity to burn a game key in order for an entry. So plan on uh, deflationary game keys in the future. And then also plan on getting a lot of free access and free things in the future with the game key. All right, there you have the update from Redbeard on everything Look Labs. And now it's time for Dispatch number 20, A Fear Unbeknownst. Did you enjoy today's show? Leave us a review for a chance to win a free NFT next week. Join us every Wednesday and make sure you're following us on all of our social media accounts at Shot to the Moon. More huge names in the space, more celebrities, more athletes, more giveaways, and more surprises coming soon. Everything you've listened to in this podcast is an opinion and not financial advice. Please invest responsibly.
Dispatch number 20. A fear on the noise. Destiny's Fortune. Come in. Destiny's Fortune, said Ringbolt over the holographic video transponder. With no captains aboard the ship, JB was the only member of the team left that had the capability of approving and answering such forms of communication. Destiny's Fortune, can you hear me? said Ringbolt, growing impatient by the second. Of all times not to answer the... Here, I, I'm here, said JB, gasping after spreading across the flight deck to answer the Theolubium's leader's call. The ship hadn't been more split up throughout their entire journey than it was at the current moment, with Josh and Risk, who knows where, and the commanders getting ready for departure. Most jobs were abundant as well as thankless. JB, where are the commanders? Well, what's going on? Said Ringbolt, a stirred tone coming from the holographic video that turned heads of some recruits inside the ship who were within proximity of the conversation. My leash. I'm all we have right now in terms of crew members that make the hierarchical ship and missions decisions. The commanders have gone down to the hangar to prepare to explore the planet Zolturia, and they have heard in passing at the casino. Since the remaining captains and lieutenants went with them, I'm pretty much here by myself just waiting for updates. I won't really know any more information in terms of next steps until I hear word from their two ways, said JB, in a worry in his reply. Not to worry. At ease, said Ringbolt. I am, however, going to give you a set of instructions on how to proceed. There are imperative to the rest of our missions moving forward. I'm all ears, sir, said JB. Fire away. Ringbull cleared his throat, <clears throat> as if to prepare for a long speech. Upon our examination of the magma scarring that took place on Laborio, King Aras and the scientist of Simia discovered traces of power that seemed to be linked to the same types of energy flowing within the seal of Elcindor. The magma scarring of Laborio was not an incident. And we could even go as far as to stating that the attack on Simia was just a diversion for the Legion of Wind's greater goal, hunting moons for seal pieces. Ringbull paused taken aback at his own words, noticing the unwillingness within his dear friend to continue. King Aras chimed in to continue relaying information to J.B. It is stated in ancient Simeon scripture that one who holds both the map to the moons and the completed seal of Elcindor has the ability to harness the greatest powers of the Ardirian galaxy. If these two types of magic are indeed the same family, then... Our worst fears have been realized. The Legion of Wind, specifically Nifty, must have Elcindor's map to the moons. It's the only way that he's been able to stay one step ahead of us over our past several destinations. The king paused for a brief moment to wrap his head around their recent discoveries. After a few moments of meditation, he continued the video transmission. Thankfully, we're able to gain a ton of information through historically cross-referencing the seal's archives within Simeon scripture, which should give us a slight advantage that we're going to need if we have any shot of anticipating where the Legion of Wind is off to next. This brings me to my next point, and Destiny's Fortune, next destination, Zolturia II. 
Wait, interrupted JP. There's this old Terrier the second? Yes, a second there is indeed, said Ringbolt, back from his initial divulgence. The planet of Zolteria was a host of civilization that didn't respect the land passed down to them from previous generations. Over the last hundred years or so, the amount of pollution and irreversible damage done to the planet got to the point of mass extinction, forcing them to rebuild the Zolterian death civilization on the orbit nearby the moon. Later, named Zolturia II. Your team isn't going to find anything worth a rip on that wasteland of a rock. Hmm. Wonder where I've heard that before, muttered J.B. sarcastically under his breath, his mind tracing back to his days on Earth. One last thing, J.B., said King Aras. We believe that the Legion of Wynn is after the relic of Zolturia next. While we don't think that the seal piece itself is on the original Zolturia, there are signs in our research that point to the relic being split into previous wars. Meaning, you'll need to have both relic pieces in order to insert the full assembly into the seal of Elsendor. If we have any more leads on where to look, we'll shoot them over to Destiny's Fortune Ship's Law. For now, though, relay that message to your team, and please get everyone back in the same place. We'll be in touch soon. Easier said than done. Stay vigilant, my friends, said JB as he disconnected. From the transmission completely, before he could wrap his head around the conversation that he had just had, another transmission was coming in from the commanders. Commander Vaughn flipped a switch, bringing the dusty and muck-covered hoverboard to life for what appeared to be the first time in ages. Taking a running head start, Vaughn leapt onto the board, gliding seamlessly around the warehouse like he'd been riding that technology his entire life. Oh heck yeah, dude, yelled Vaughn, pure excitement blasting into the rest of the crew's space helmets. You guys have to try this baby out. Commander Sean rolled his eyes as the lieutenants watched and cheered on their commander's maneuverability with the newly discovered hoverboard. Before he had the chance to dryly respond to his counterpart, the transmission effort to Destiny's Fortune finally connected in the flight deck. Commander, come in! Can you hear me? said JB over the two-way. Loud and clear, we're live from Zolturia, an absolutely disgusting wasteland of a planet said Sean, trying to talk over the cheers and yelling from Vaughn's watch party. Also, Vaughn is riding a hoverboard, of all things. Please don't ask. No time to get into details, but two quick things, said JB. First, King Aras and Ringbolt found some pretty incredible information after studying a few things in the Simeon archives. Second, you guys are in the wrong place. I'll send you the actual coordinates to Zolturia Zul II. The planet that you're on is deserted. And I'd get out of there before you find something that knows that you don't belong. As soon as JB finished relaying his message, Vaughn looked back at the lieutenants just long enough to not seal a pile of boxes lying in front of them. Everyone cringed at the crash as the hoverboard continued to soar away into the dark corner of the unexplored warehouse. Commander Vaughn picked himself up and tried to say that he was all right but he noticed that the sound of the hoverboard hadn't stopped, resulting in an 
eerily awkward silence. Oh, you gotta be kidding me, said Commander Sean, already anticipating what was coming next as he put his hand on his holster. A stomach-churning roar came from the darkness of the warehouse. The crew was not alone. Recruits, it's time for you to choose what you think happens next. Select one if a new partner in collaboration is introduced in dispatch number 21 on Zolturia 2. Select two for an update on the captured captains. And select three if Destiny's Fortune has to rescue the commanders and lieutenants from the abandoned planet of Zolturia. Head to the Choose Your Own Adventure channel in the Shot to the Moon Discord and discuss your choices with fellow Space Pass holders. Listen to next week's podcast to hear what happens next. <laughs>